So uh, it is 19 May, it's Sunday, it's time for the Prophecy Update of the Week, and we have a very special guest today who is uh, John Huller. He's got his own Prophecy Update that he does up in uh, Ohio. He's uh, attending a conference south of us, about three-hour drive, and he's graciously come to give us a Prophecy Update here at the Superior Word today. So good to have your brother. Good I'll get out of your way. Okay. All right. So I'm going to... I'm going to talk for just a second here. I've got like three things going and uh, recording started. Uh, I would say it's great to be here at Superior Word. I watch you, uh, and I don't know, there was a, a lady that attends here and uh, was getting my hair cut one day, and she goes, oh, my mother lives in, in Venice, or, and she goes to Superior Word when she's down in Florida, and um she watches your update too, and she comes to church every now and then when she's up in Ohio. So it's a small world, wow. and uh, and the Lord is really, you know, through what Charlie does and what we do at Fellowship Bible Chapel, uh, the Lord's really opened up a lot of opportunities. Uh, we might as well use the social media and YouTube and that type of thing while we have it. It, it's kind of strange sometimes. I was actually, in fact, two years ago today, my wife and I were in Jerusalem. Uh, somebody had gave us, uh, let us use their apartment. They have an apartment one block from the old city, uh, right next to Jerusalem City Hall. And uh, two years ago today, we were actually one of the most incredible days of my life. We started the day in Shiloh. Uh, well, I started in Jerusalem, and then we drove up to, let me get this started recording so I can, uh, so I was telling you about the Shiloh, Shiloh, and uh, on the way up to Shiloh, we always pass this, there's a place, there's this giant building that's just steel girders, it hasn't been finished. And a lot of people don't know about this. And our guy, Joel Kramer, a great archeologist and apologist, he said, uh, do you know what that is? And I said, no, I mean, I've been here a couple times and I've seen it, but it, nobody ever said anything about it. He said, that's Gibeah. And uh, what's Gibeah? That's the tribal seat, the tribal capital of the tribe of Benjamin. And who was from the tribe of Benjamin? Right, and the first king, the first king of Israel, Saul, was from the tribe of Benjamin, and there was a later Saul who was also from the tribe of Benjamin. And what this steel girder, unfinished building, had been there. We were there. We chose to go there because it was the 50th anniversary of the Six Day War while we were in Jerusalem, and we were there when President Trump came. Um, and we left and went up to the Golan Heights that day because they had everything in Jerusalem shut down. But Gibeah, this is the, the unfinished palace of King Hussein of Jordan, who was the king of Jordan at the time. And when the Six-Day War happened, Israel took back that, and he couldn't finish the palace. But why was he building the palace there? He was building the palace there because this is what Muslims do. He was building the palace there to make a point. I'm the king now. That's where your first king was. I built on top of him. And this is what they do. This is why there's the Dome of the Rock. This is why there's now four mosques on the Temple Mount, um, essentially four mosques. And they're trying to put the fifth one in there by the, the closed gate, the Eastern Gate, uh, the Gate of Mercy, they call it. So this is, this is, this is what they do. And this is, this is a contemporary issue relates to Bible prophecy and all that sort of thing. So what I do each week is I talk about the uh, convergence of events and how all of these different things are happening. And I know Pastor Charlie does the same thing, that they're, it, this is another, every week I get up and I say, you know, there was a lot of things converging this week. And it, certainly next week I'll be able to take time off. And I, I really think we're at this point now in prophecy-related information and how things are unfolding in the world that I, we're past the tipping point. We are not going, we're, we're not going back. Uh, it's only going to converge more and more. And so I have a few things today. Now, I'll talk a little bit about the Middle East, but there's a couple of issues that I want to talk about. 
So I have to hit two buttons at the same time, and this is sometimes difficult for a lawyer. Uh, world disrupted. I've used this slide for probably five years now. Uh, this is from the Front of Foreign Policy magazine, and it is clearly a disrupted world. I was just sort of uh, glancing through the. Now I read the New York. I read a lot of material. Um, that a lot of people, why do you read that? Why do you read that? Well, because I want to know what the enemy is thinking. So I read the New York Times, the Washington Post, foreign policy, foreign affairs, that type of thing. And I'm sure Charlie does the same thing. But if you just looked at the New York Times today, a world disrupted, you have uh, an earth, what they're calling an earthquake miracle election in Australia. A conservative, sort of conservative party has come to power. Uh, a Pentecostal uh, church attender, um, Scott Morrison, I think is his name, will be the new prime minister of Australia. And nobody nobody predicted this. All the polls were saying they had zero chance, this was never going to happen. And there were some things that happened, and I'll talk about what I think was one of the things that tipped the election. And I think there are things that are going to happen here in the United States that are similar, are happening already. Uh, but look, here's a... Now, this is not a rainbow flag or anything. Whoops. Sorry about that. It's not a rainbow flag or anything. Uh, this is a weather map of current air current, upper air currents. Um, Florida, of course, is down here. The weather's beautiful here. It's about as nice as I've, it's ever been when I've been here in May. It almost makes you forget what it's like in July and August, which I've been here in July and August. And... Um, the so this this they're expecting a lot of what weather disruption over the next couple of weeks because of this upper air current i got a text this morning that there are a bunch of them flying out of tampa today a bunch of flights are being canceled at tampa because of weather across the united states and they're afraid of all kinds of things so uh, you know bad weather things happening um i don't have um I'm, my slides are a little bit different because I updated them a little bit, so you won't see some of these slides. So you can just look at the Ramirez cartoon till I get there. <laughs> um, the Guardian uh, in England has an article in yesterday's paper. The Guardian is changing how it talks about climate. Mm -hmm. They've decided that climate change is not really what they should say. It now is... Can we all, and the article says, can we all now call it what it is? Climate crisis, ecological breakdown. I have farmers write to me and they say, well, they say that 2% of the land is planted about a week ago in the Midwest. It's probably one-tenth of that amount was planted. And we're right at the tipping point. You know, it's, what is it, May 18th or 19th now? Planting corn is going to be very difficult. They lost vast amounts, uh, probably 50% of the stored grain was lost in the flooding. It's going to have a huge impact. There were, I don't, I've not seen this, but this is a farmer who wrote and told me this. He has it on good information that over a million cattle were killed in the floods. Young cattle. Young cattle. And so they, there's no way to replace them this year. So the old phrase is, where's the beef may become uh, an important thing. There's also a great article, and again, I, I didn't have it in the slides that I sent to Sergio, but uh, the front cover of Newsweek magazine this week has an article, and it relates to uh, Revelation chapter 6, whoops, which says this. When the lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, come, I looked and there was a black horse, its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice among the four living creatures saying, two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of, of barley for a day's wages and do not damage the oil and wine. Now I'm not saying we're in, look, there's a whole bunch of different views as you probably know if you've listened to Prophecy Updates. Uh, there may be, the joke always used to be that you have two Jewish people and you have three opinions. And you have uh, three prophecy teachers and you have eight opinions and 48 timelines. 
And we always say that the 30 minutes of silence in heaven that we read about in Revelation is so all the prophecy teachers can update their charts. Uh, and that's why I put all my stuff in PowerPoint so it can be easily edited. Um, and I can also delete it and that's why I haven't sold anything because I have plausible deniability. And verse seven of Reve Revelation six says this, when the lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, come, I looked and there before me was a pale horse, its rider named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. They were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine, and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. And this cover article in Newsweek magazine this week is called The Death of Antibiotics. Now, it is very, very interesting from a prophetic standpoint. We have lived all of us here through what has been called the golden age of antibiotics. I remember my mother uh, who had a mild case of polio when she was a child in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, talking about this great thing that was invented called antibiotics. And we've had this antibiotics, but what's the problem now is we have all sorts of things that are uh, drug resistant, antibiotics, fungal infections, viruses, that sort of thing. And it's growing. Uh, this article says they have a, a big picture of the, the uh, uh, you know, a bacteria, and it says we should all be scared. And it's just page after page. And they don't know how to treat all of these diseases. They're thinking about modifying viruses to introduce them to attach to the bacteria. But, but you all you know that there's always the law of unintended consequences if anything can go wrong something will go wrong and so they introduce these viruses but what else are they doing that's why i'm very concerned when i see the crispr technology and that sort of thing we're going to edit people's dna uh, you first is what i say because oh you just have junk dna okay remove your dna and we'll see what how long you last uh there are um Superbugs, they're spending, they're, they're estimating the cost of this will be somewhere over $100 billion. They're, they don't know what to do. Um, there are a lot of drug companies, antibiotic manufacturers, they're going bankrupt. New healthcare startups or health uh, drug startup companies are having a tremendous time getting everything together and they're having financial problems. So this is, this is something that's going to be, in one quote from the article, it says this, um, we're, looking, we're looking to see, to find the next antibiotic, and there's nothing there. We're facing the specter of patients with infections we can't treat. And there was a big article in the New York Times a few weeks ago about a international fungal infection that's killing people, and you hardly hear anything about it. So that's, um, let's see, what's the next slide up here? Okay, now I'm back on track. This is interesting. This, this sort of shows where the world is. SAT adds score to gauge test takers' hardships. So now what you're going to do, if, if you come from some, a minority, you live in the wrong neighborhood, your parents don't make enough money, you get points added to your SAT score. You're not any smarter, okay? Now we'll put people in prison for bribing college officials to get their kid in, but now the SAT comes along and they're, I guess I would call them an accessory after the fact about the way they're doing this. And do you think they're gonna come out of this smarter? No. Don't think so. Um, this is what I think is one of the issues. Israel that led to the change in the government in, um, in Australia. A rugby player named Israel Folau, F-O-L-A-U, he's from Fiji, he's a Christian, a very strong Christian, and he put up on Instagram essentially a paraphrase of a verse in Galatians, drunkards, homosexuals, adulterers, etc., won't inherit the kingdom of God. He says, you need to repent or you're going to go to hell. The Rugby Association in Australia said that is a violation of our code of conduct, and your $4 million a year contract is hereby terminated. 
and he's he was fired. This is something that's going to happen. Now, I think that a lot of people, there's a lot of conservative people, Bible-believing people in Australia, and I think this election we will eventually find is a response to that sort of nonsense that they see happening. It's the same stuff that we see happening here in the United States. Um, in fact, this week, uh, and again, my uh, slides don't show it, but we, the House passed the Equality Act. Have you heard about the Equality Act? And that will have an impact. That will affect people's uh, jobs. It will affect religious freedom and the exercise of religious freedom. It's just, it's a matter of fact, this is what's going to happen. So that passed the House. I'm not confident that it won't pass the Senate. And if it passes the Senate, then the only uh, defense is a Trump veto. Right. Uh, and I, I, I don't know. I, I'm not going to. I'm not a prophet, and I'm not going to predict what's going to happen. But I'm very concerned about it because you have look. You have a bunch of rhino senators, and you know a lot of them are going to flip over on equality. We all have to be about equality. But even women's people strong in the women's liberation movement, feminists have said this will destroy the feminist movement, and you'll have guys competing and girls track and weightlifting it's it just i i see this and we know from luke 17 that jesus said you know one of the characteristics of the time before the return of the lord would be it would be as in the days of lot and to which i always reply i don't even think lot had to put up with this stuff <laughs> really i mean and it said lot was he felt oppressed by the licentious behavior that he saw going on around him in Sodom. And um, it's, um, it's incredible. So here is, I can't remember, I had a slide. There it is, Ramirez cartoon. We replace social interaction, it's a, the modern culture machine, you know, it's one of these Rube Goldberg things. Frankenstein's monster says we replace social interaction, faith, morality, and compassion with technology, moral relativism, and indifference. And what do you think we get? We get a big mess in, re in return. Now, there was a lady that died this week. Her name is uh, Barbara Marks Hubbard. Uh, she is one of the, she was a New Ager. She was 103. She damaged, she wrecked a lot of Christians, or so-called Christians, with her New Age beliefs, and we're all going to come together as one, and we'll all be part of this great oneness. So I'm not mourning her passing. I fear, obviously, I fear for her soul, and we'll see what uh, happens here. So let me get up here to my next slide. It must be a good one. Maybe that's the blank one. Oh, I have to hit show slide. Okay, now I can go back one. Again, you know, getting a lawyer to do all these uh, things is pretty difficult. Oh, a slide that I don't have for you. Uh, but I do for the people that watch it on my, we'll put this up on my YouTube channel when I get home eventually. China, you have heard, has a social credit system that's been put in place. People are being denied the ability to purchase airline tickets, train tickets, and that sort of thing in China. Right now, they estimate that 13 million people are under pretty much total restriction, essentially house arrest. They haven't had to put them in jail. They haven't had to pay. They really can't go anywhere. They're confined to their city. China says this. This was in the Global Times, the Chinese news, international newspaper published under the auspices of the Chinese government. And it says, just listen to this. China's ongoing construction of the world's largest social credit system will help the country restore social trust. But Chinese analysts also urge the government to soon release regulations to improve data protection over concerns about privacy leaks. If drivers fail to pay a parking fee, this might be recorded in the future social credit system, according to the Beijing Municipal Commission of Transport in early May. Beijing also released revisions on its code of conduct for subway passengers, proposing that uncivilized behavior, I think you and I would 
probably fall within that category. <laughs> Including eating on the train would be added to individual credit information. And they're doing this, it says here, they're, uh, they're, the headline says, Social Credit System to Restore Morality. Now, I have a friend who uh, has been involved in China. I really won't go into it, but he's been involved with the underground church. And he says the Chinese society is the most corrupt thing he's ever seen in his life. Everybody will turn on everybody for very little money and report you to the authorities. So now we're going to go to this slide. Oops. Well, previous. There we go. This is good news. This is part of the good news part of this week's prophecy update. Uh, I always get accused, you only have bad news. And uh, it's still news, right? <laughs> This act was enacted by Alabama this week, essentially putting a restriction on all abortions in the state of Alabama. And boy, they are going crazy. Uh, the act essentially uh, puts, as I said, restriction on all abortions. It's uh, very well drafted, and they said that we drafted this because we want to... Uh, we want to send this up to the Supreme Court. We think we may have the votes on the Supreme Court. Now, I, I don't know that they do. I don't trust John Roberts, yeah. and I don't know enough about Kavanaugh to do it. It would be great if Ruth Bader Ginsburg would, they would get her off that cryogenic machine <laughs> that she's on and uh, get another conservative appointed. Uh, but this is this is from the legislation that's here. It is estimated that six million Jewish people were murdered in German concentration camps during World War II. Three million executed by Joseph Stalin's regime and Soviet gulags. Two and a half million murdered during the Chinese Great Leap Forward in 1958. One and a half to three million murdered by the Khmer Rouge in Cambodia. Cambodia. And a million people murdered during the Rwandan genocide in 1994. But it says this, all of these widely acknowledged to have been crimes against, are, are widely acknowledged to have been crimes against humanity. By comparison, more than 50 million babies have been aborted in the United States since the Roe decision. It's probably more like 75 million, more than three times the number who were killed in German death, camp, death camps. Now, we always want to point the finger at other people, but not good. And so there are protests that are going on in the different places, these I forget what the movie that comes from that they dress up at, uh, but the law was signed into act was signed into law by uh, Governor Ivey. The report from this is a quote from the New York Times said this. This is what the people that the senator, state rep or state senator Collins said this. This bill is about challenging Roe versus Wade and protecting the lives of the unborn because an unborn baby is a person who deserves love and protection. And the New York Times had a very helpful chart with all of the different changes that have been made. There's about seven states, including my state, Ohio, that have put in place restrictions. We got rid of Governor Kasich and our new governor, Governor DeWine, uh, signed that. I, I don't know if I should, it's a church, but I could, I'm only telling you the truth. I work, my, my office is right in the center of our building, and it looks like if I took a good leap, I could dive right into the center of the state dome, the dome of the Capitol building in Columbus. But every morning when I walk from my parking garage, I have a view of the state capitol, and in front of the state capitol is President William McKinley, who was from the town that I lived in for a long time as a kid, Canton, Ohio. But right in my view, between the State House, the stat McKinley statute, is a statue of a horse. But the horse is looking at the state capitol, so I see the rear end of a horse. <laughs> and I was always thinking, that's the perfect visual metaphor for Governor Kasich. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so you do the math, and... Uh, and I know the governor, so and I don't know what happened to him. I don't know if he got dropped on his head or, or something. But he has uh, the um, so 
Let me see what else I got here. Again, this is a little, I'm kind of, oh, Missouri passed the heartbeat law also the other day. So this is, everything's changing. Matt Walsh tweeted, now I don't agree with Matt Walsh theologically at all, but he did tweet. He says, over the last 24 hours, pro-abortion people have threatened, because he supports these laws, have threatened to kill me, kill my wife, rape my wife, rape my daughter, and assault me. They've wished death on me, on my children, on all pro-lifers. They've wished rape on my wife and my daughter. Now, he says this, I remember when the left told us the criticism of Ilhan Omar was putting her life at risk. Will leftists have the same concern for the lives of my wife, my children, and myself? And the next one is a, a speech that was given by Pope Francis. Uh, I don't know why. Um, can he just, like, retire already? Uh, I don't even think a lot of Catholics like him. Pope Francis demanded that a new supranational legal constituted body enforce climate change policies and other worldwide threats. He advocated a policy of decreased national sovereignty and increased global unity, claiming that planetary problems are exacerbated by an excessive demand for sovereignty on the part of states. The Pope is trying to convince the world that our only hope for peace, prosperity, and planetary salvation is to surrender our national sovereignty. And you can find it's not up in English, but you can find the English language version and run it through Google Translate. We have um, a lot of people are concerned about the rise of socialism. And I've often thought, look, the, the Pope came to the United States a few years back, four, four years ago, I think, and he spoke before Congress. And when he spoke before Congress, if you remember, you ought to go back and look at it because he cited three people in his speech as great examples of what we should do. One was Martin Luther King. We'll leave that. There's a, you probably know where I come down on that. The next person that he talked about was Dorothy Day. Dorothy Day was a radical left-wing socialist workers' party person. And the Pope held her up as a great Christian example. Now, it just so happens that a lady in our church Dorothy Day lived for many years, for decades, with her uncle. So she knew Dorothy Day. She was not a Christian, but the Pope held her up an example. And the third person he mentioned was Robert Merton, who was the monk who has really put in place uh, contemplative spirituality. So look, there's a lot of people, a lot of theories. Is the Pope the false prophet? If Is he not? My view is... Um, He's not a Christian. He's a leftist. And I think this leftism socialism does play into this sort of global unity, political, religious system of the end times. So whether the Pope is the false prophet or not, I don't know yet. But he sure seems to be auditioning for it quite a bit. But even the New York Times this week, uh, whoops, has the... Um, an article on their front page yesterday about Venezuela reels as economy falls. Now, this is always interesting. Like, every now and then, the New York Times, it, it's like reality kind of hits them in the face. But listen to this article. It says, Zimbabwe collapse under Robert Mugabe, the fall of the Soviet Union, Cuba's disastrous unraveling, the crumbling of Venezuela's economy has now outpaced them all. Venezuela's fall is the single largest economic collapse outside of war in the last 45 years. Kenneth Rogoff, an economic professor at Harvard and former chief economist of the International, International Monetary Fund said this, it's really hard to think of a human tragedy of this scale outside of civil war. Mm -hmm. This will be a touchstone of disastrous policies for decades to come, if we have decades left. Mm -hmm. To find similar levels of economic devastation, economists at the International Monetary Fund pointed to countries that were ripped apart like by war like Libya earlier this decade or Lebanon in the 1970s. And they even have a um, chart that they put up. Let's see if I have it here. Countries with the highest rates of inflation right now. Venezuela, 64,000%. Wow. 
Zimbabwe, 247%. Iran, 137%. And we're trying to get that number up. Um, and it seems to be working. Let me see. I'm going to... What's this one? This is a, also an interesting thing. The New York Times puts up this uh, article about... There's a lot of controversy over 5G. Is it good for you? Is it bad for you? Will it be good? Is it medically dangerous? And that sort of thing. And now the New York Times is saying, well, Russia is running around getting everybody all riled up that it's medically dangerous. Uh, I don't know if it's medically dangerous. If they put it up and it is medically dangerous, it's a bonanza. It's like the Lawyer Full Employment Act. So I have mixed feelings about how, uh, how that, that's going to go. Okay. Oh. Oh, I know why. I'm looking at my screen and not that one, so. <laughs> and so here's a, an article that talks about a fake assembly line to bolster disinformation, uh, spreading fake news to bolster Iran. And Iran is involved in this propaganda. They have all these bots set up to try to get everybody in a tizzy, to get people thinking. That only man, Iran, Iran is not that bad. And I see Christian news organizations falling for this stuff all the time. They really don't understand how evil Iran really is. Um, this is an act that's being proposed in Canada. It's called an act to amend the Legislative Assembly Act respecting demonstrations that promote hatred on legislative precinct grounds. So in this province of Ontario, they're putting in place these act if to to ban hate speech. Now, what? Who do you think is the target of their of their act? I mean, just take a guess. That's Ontario. Um, here's the title of it: an act to amend. So it only applies to a certain specific area outside the Ontario legislature. But you know that it will never end there. Uh, the act says that it's designed to. Uh, no demonstration rally or other activity in the opinion of the speaker is likely to promote hatred against any identifiable group shall be permitted on legislative precinct grounds. Goodbye free speech in Canada. This happens everywhere. I talked about this last week in my update. This is a book that is pushed on kids in California. We're just in California called Who Are You? The Kid's Guide to Gender Identity. And there was a report uh, this week that this uh, father found out that a teacher had pulled their child out of recess and other classes and was giving him information about questioning your gender identity. And they've now filed, and I hope they're successful, a multi-million dollar lawsuit against uh, these, am I allowed to say morons here? Yes, yes. Morons that are in charge of these policies. I thought I was okay, but I just wanted to make sure. I don't want to get zapped or anything like that. The, um, so th this, is, this is the way it's going. This, and I think I got somebody criticized me. Oh, you're always talking about the transgender issue. My friends, this is one of the most critical social issues. This is a harbinger of the end times like nothing I've ever seen in my life, in my opinion because it questions reality, morality, sexuality. It is completely contrary to Genesis. It's contrary to what Jesus said. When he was asked a question, he said, well, God made them male and female. Now we can't even decide whether people are male or female. And look, I feel sorry for these people and these kids who are being drugged into this. I if, Go get my update from last week. I cited statistics from um, Australia about the number of children like they used to have in a like a four-year period they had two children that might have gone through transgender thing now they have like 75 107 160 in some of these categories and it's having an impact and this is what the left wants this is what socialists want they want to tear down all of the foundations so they can rebuild and put something in its place um, this is from the Arab News. Uh, this week was the celebration of Israeli Independence Day. 
it's a great time. I mean, it's a, it's a miraculous rebirth of a country. Happened 71 years ago. And then the next day, every, whenever the celebration is the next day, the Palestinians have uh, Nakba Day, the day of catastrophe, how bad it is. It's just terrible. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this, but you know, this is sort of one of the central core issues, I think, in geopolitics and the world and Bible prophecy is this Palestinian, Fakistinian, Israeli issue. Look, I look, this this was done, the PLO was created by the Soviet Union back in the 60s with their little tool, um, Yasser Arafat. And I'll talk about what I believe is Yasser Arafat's uncle in just a moment. But let's look a little bit about the, the crisis that occurred this week was the uh, conflict ratcheting up and heating up in the Gulf. There were some um, ships that were attacked. They were sabotaged. And immediately the websites go, well, this was... Uh, the, the Trump government did it, the uh, Mossad did it, uh, and well, Iran, yeah, Iran said they were going to do it, but we don't really believe them. We think the Mossad did it. Uh, this is where you get into the whole propaganda and thing, and it, it becomes very, very difficult to figure out what the truth exactly is. And somebody said, well, I heard a Christian, a Christian commentator, I always put the square quotes around, that means, maybe. not sure, yeah, maybe. <laughs> say this week, um, well, uh, why, Iran would be crazy to do this. Yeah, Iran is crazy. Have you followed them for 40 years? Do you understand the money and wealth that these people in charge have? Do you know that the Ayatollah Khomeini himself controls a fortune of somewhere estimated to be between 25 and 35 million? Oh, no. 25 and 35 billion dollars. Now, I hear he lives modestly. Soleimani, who's been the head of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard and who is really considered to be one of the great military minds in the world today, probably controls a similar fortune. And they use this to pay off people and to do things. And I think that this was being done. Now, this it took place on the um, it took place on the at the where the United Arab Emirates Peninsula comes out into the Gulf Persian Gulf, the entrance to the Persian Gulf, the Straits of Hormuz. It was on the um, Gulf of Oman side, not on the Persian Gulf side. And what uh, Saudi Arabia done is they built a pipeline through the United Arab Emirates there, so they don't have to have ships come through the Persian Gulf through the Straits of Hormuz. It was a way to get back at Iran. I think it's perfectly logical that Iran did this. They were trying to send a message and say, hey, you're worried about the Straits of Hormuz? You can't even come to the ports that aren't that before you get to the Straits of Hormuz and we're going to come and get you. You know, it's a big world, and um, I know everybody says there are certain people that control everything, and I'm just saying is that they're, if somebody's in charge of all this, they're not doing a very good job of whatever they're doing because yeah. the world's a mess. And, but there are people that want to control everything. I don't deny that. So this is a headline in The Guardian. Iran tells militias to prepare for proxy war in the Middle East. So that was earlier in the week. Within a couple days, the newspapers, these are the Iranian newspapers, leader rules out possibility of war with the United States. Iran's leader says this from the Iran Daily, there will be no war with the U.S., now, they also said there will be no negotiations with the U.S. either. So we're not, we're not going to talk to you guys at all about anything. Uh, so it, it kind of ratcheted up. There were talks about sending 120,000 U.S. troops to Iraq or the Middle East. I don't think that – I just don't think it's, it's time yet. I think there's a wars are coming, but I think they're going to be later uh, this year if they're coming now. But I, I don't know, again, but I'm watching it. So I think it's, uh, I don't want to run around saying, oh, you know, we're on, war is on the horizon. This is an interesting article from the, um, and here, well, I have another article from Jerusalem Post today <coughs> where it says that Iran dismisses the possibility of conflict and says it doesn't want more war. And that was their foreign minister, Zarif, who said that. 
But here in the Arab News, there's this article, Iran must not go unpunished. Our point of view is that they must be hit hard, it says. They need to be shown that the circumstances are now different. We call for a decisive, punitive reaction to what happens so that Iran knows that every single move they make will have consequences. In the considered view of this newspaper, there has, and this is a Saudi Arabian government newspaper, probably under the eventual control of Crown Prince, as some people call him, Mohammed Bone Sawman. Yeah. Uh, in the considered view of this newspaper, there is to be a deterrent and punitive action in order for Iran to know that no sinister act will go unpunished. That action, in our opinion, should be a calculated surgical strike. And so what the Gulf states have done is they have authorized uh, the U.S. request to deploy troops in the Gulf. Now, whether this happens or not, I don't know. In this morning's new, uh, Jerusalem Post, Seth Fransman has a good article that says the U.S. far left and far right blame Israel for Trump's Iran policy. So the far right says this. And, I, you know, everybody talks about the continuum of crazy views. You know, you have the far right, far left. I don't think it's a line. I personally think it's a circle. And what in the common denominator where the right and left meet is anti-Semitism. That's one of the common ones. So they, they share those views. So I don't, I don't like the continuum. I like the circle. I wonder what people, I'll probably get, you must be a Freemason or something. I'll get those. <laughs> Do you ever get those, uh, those comments? The, um, so let's see here. The um, foreign policy this week said even Iran is scaring off its friends. It has very little friends left. In fact, there's an interesting article um, in The Economist this week about Putin, Putin's road to Damascus. Now, my question always is, is like, does it seem like Russia might be mentioned in Bible prophecy? Does it seem like Damascus is mentioned in Bible prophecy? So here's The Economist, which I'm sure doesn't watch Charlie or me do a prophecy update or anybody else for that matter, or even look at the Bible. And that's why I always find interesting is when the secular press, the secular godless press, starts talking about things that we know that sort of leap right off the pages of the Bible. So here it's talking about this long article about Putin's road to Damascus. And it talks about, well, you know, and I think this article is the stuff of fantasy, like, you know, it's really gone pretty well for Putin in Syria. He's kind of elevated himself. Well, here's what here's actually the quote that it says. Moscow was turned into the center for Middle Eastern diplomacy. In 2017, King Salman became the first Saudi monarch to visit Russia. Goes on to talk about the fact that Bibi Netanyahu has made numerous trips, well above a dozen now, to, to Russia. It says, strikingly, in the second paragraph, Russia has been able to keep friends with all sides of the region's bitter rivalries, Israel and Iran, Turkey and the Kurds, Saudi Arabia and Qatar. For Russian military commanders, the war in Syria has been a proving ground for new tactics and weapons and a showcase for arms exports. Russia and Saudi Arabia also struck an unprecedented deal in early 2017 to limit oil output. And that's why gas prices have spiked up a bit because of some of the tensions in the Gulf. Um, I was in California two weeks ago, and let me back that up. So California just a little over a week ago, and regular gas was right. You could find it at Costco for three eighty uh, for regular. And the governor of California's big article in the New York uh, Los Angeles Times saying we need to have an investigation as to why our gas prices are so high in California compared to the rest of the country. And I'm like, you don't need an investigation. You just need to take an IQ test, and we'll figure out what's uh, what's happened. There's a great article in the Jerusalem Post on Friday by uh, Jonathan Spire. I think Jonathan Spire, he's a Jewish, uh, made Ali off from England, was born in England. He's a brilliant writer. He spent a lot of time in Syria investigating the situation, writing about the war. He has a book out called After the Fall. Uh, but I, when I see Jonathan 
write an article, I always try to find it. And it's talking about missiles in the desert. Now, what he talks about the fact is that this head of a Hezbollah unit in Iraq, and I want you to understand that Hezbollah unit in Iraq gave a speech. In a speech delivered on May 9th, Sheikh Akram al-Kabi, Secretary General of Hezbollah Nujaba movement in Iraq, delivered a series of threats against Israel. <laughs> uh, Hezbollah Nujaba is an Iran-supported Iran Shia militia. It is affiliated with the Popular Mobilization Forces, or Hashid al-Shabi, which is gathering of mainly Shia, mainly pro-Iranian military groups. Kabi's speech is by itself of only passing interest, but it is an indication of the growing involvement of Tehran's Iraqi servants in Israel, uh, in uh, Iraq servants in Iran's preparations for conflict with Israel, and not only on the verbal level. So he gave this speech. He talked about you know Israel and what the problems with Israel were. And the the point of Jonathan's article, though, is that the um, they they're they're they put missiles uh, ballistic missiles have been moved into iraq and this is probably part of the reason that pompeo left germany canceled a meeting went to iraq to give a speech and to meet with people there uh, this is a very serious situation because these missiles have a range that will allow them to hit tel aviv and we know that there were missiles launched from Iraq during uh, the first Iraq war back in the early 90s. Uh, I think there were 37 or 39 missiles that came into SCUD missiles. SCUD stands for sure could use direction. Um, my understanding from a friend who lived in Jerusalem at the time was whenever they heard a SCUD was coming, Orthodox Jews would run to the Western Wall and pray that it hit that Golden Dome there on the Temple Mount and save them the demolition costs. Um, so this is this is a serious situation. There was another article that uh, Jonathan cites in his that was put up. Um, Reuters talked about Iran moves missiles into Iraq. That was from last year. There was a paper put out by the Washington Institute for Middle East Policy, and Jonathan says these things in his article. The ability of Iran to operate a de facto contiguous line of control across Iraq and thence to Syria, Lebanon, and the borders with the Golan Heights is thus not under serious doubt. Does this sound like a little bit of the beginnings of a war that you might have read about? It appears that Tehran has begun to station SRBMs, that short-range ballistic missiles, along this route, directed at Israel and crewed by the Quds Force-directed militia franchises, an arrangement intended to provide Iran with deniability in the event of their being used. An unnamed, um, well, I think I went one too far. Let's see here. Oh, there we are. The latest episodes of the port of Fujara in the UAE and the Aramco East-West Pipeline, they bombed a, they had a drone strike on the pipeline in Saudi Arabia. This week suggests that Iran intends to follow a strategy precisely of deniability and use of proxies in its attempts to hit back at U.S. efforts to contain and roll back Iranian advances in recent years. Israel is not outside of this circle. An unnamed Iranian official quoted by Reuters put it, if America attacks us, our friends will attack America's interest and allies and its allies in the region. And a lot of this relates to the Syrian war. This is a picture of the town of Majal Shams in the Golan Heights. I've been there a few times. It's right up on the border with uh, Syria, Lebanon, uh, right at the base of Mount Hermon. It's, uh, it's a Druze area. Uh, the Druze are kind of a strange religious mix. Um, every time I go, I have to learn what it is because it's it's kind of a mystical combination of Islam and some Christianity thrown in there. It's a sort of a Heinz 57 thing. But um, uh, there are a number of reports. The Washington Post had an article this week that a new Syrian catastrophe looms. Uh, the Institute for the Study of War had an uh, article 
about the fact that ISIS is sort of reconstituting itself and it's becoming it's a problem. Uh, it's moving into some of the refugee camps. Uh, there's also talk about the fact that the Iranians will use these Sunni groups, Sunni prisoners as human shields to protect some of their ballistic missile operations. It's all very complicated. Uh, you could go to understandingwar.org and read the information that they have there. Probably explains why uh, Pompeo flew to Baghdad in a hurry. And some of the people think that this is just a replay of the weapons of mass destruction scenario that happened in the Iraq war, which really caused us a lot of political problems here in the United States. Uh, let me get caught up here. So everybody was upset about the sabotage attacks. Is there going to be war? Is there not going to be war? There were uh, deployment of trip of troops and, and ships to the Gulf. Some of that was already planned. Um, the U.S. reported that they thought that Iran was likely behind the ship attacks. Iran blamed Israel, of course. U.S. blames Iran. Everybody's blaming everybody else. Nobody's taking credit for it. Uh, this is a picture of that Saudi pipeline that was attacked uh, that goes across uh, Saudi Arabia. The oil prices, have, as I said earlier, have spiked up. Aramco, it says here, is betting on oil supply to Europe. Aramco made over $100 billion profit last year. Most profitable company in the world. In fact, you could take the five biggest tech companies combined, and Aramco had more profits than they did. So the Saudis are still big players in all of this. Now, I'm going to, I think I'm about done, and I'm going to finish up with this. Our uh, Detroit area congresswoman, Rashida Tlaib, and what she said this week. Uh, this late, and, and the thing that's interesting is she and Ilan Omar make these crazy comments all the time, um, like AOC. Uh, so a friend of mine calls her occasional cortex. <laughs> and now I heard, I, and I don't even know sometimes, I, I heard a very, I, I listened to Dennis Prager, and I respect Dennis Prager a lot. And he reported this week, but I haven't been able to find it. And so I don't know if he's being fooled by the Babylon Bee or, you know, you know what the Babylon Bee is, the satire. And the, the problem with the Babylon Bee is sometimes it's so close to the truth that you can't tell that it's really not the truth. And said that uh, uh, AOC has said, well, a lot of my proposals, there's just a lot of, I use satire a lot. So she's now the left-wing version of the Babylon Bee, I get, I guess. But I don't know if it's true. I, I You know, sometimes it's like, uh, the Babylon Bee goes out of business because AOC is more crazy than their satire that they could come up with. I think we'll see a, that headline eventually. So she was interviewed by Yahoo News this week, and she had these comments, and they were talking about Nakba Day and the Independence Day celebrations of Israel, and here's a little bit of what occurred at that uh, Oh, I have to hit it one more time. Congresswoman, you've created something of a stir by coming out in favor of a one-state solution in Israel and Palestine. Um, and I think you may be the only uh, Democrat who's publicly supported a one-state solution. So what is your vision uh, for a one-state solution that meets both uh, uh, Palestinian and um, Israeli or Jewish national aspirations. Absolutely. And let me tell you, I mean, for me, just uh, a few, uh, I think two weeks ago or so, we celebrated, um, or just it took a moment, I think, in our country to remember the Holocaust. And there's, you know, there's a kind of a calming feeling, I always tell folks, when I think of the Holocaust and the tragedy of the Holocaust, and the fact that it was my ancestors, Palestinians, who lost their land and some lost their lives, their livelihood, the human dignity, um, their existence in many ways have been wiped out and some people's passport. I mean, just all of it was in the name of trying to create a safe haven for Jews post um, the Holocaust, post the tragedy and horrific um, persecution of Jews ac across the world at that time. And 
I love the fact that it was my ancestors that provided that, right, in many ways. Um, but they did it in a way that took their human dignity away, right? And it was forced on them. And so when I think about a one state, I think about the fact that why couldn't we do it in a better way where, and, and I don't want people to do it in the name of Judaism, just like I don't want people to use Islam in that way. It has to be done in a way of values around equality and around the fact that you shouldn't oppress others so that you can feel free and safe. Why can't we all be free and safe to get together? Congresswoman, you friends. Okay. So um, the Palestinians helped the Jews. Well, they sort of did, but not in the way that they said. Uh, here is a um, editorial cartoon by Ramirez, who I think does the best editorial cartoons on the planet. Uh, they took my words out of context. She says, Jews have a safe haven because of my ancestors, one of whom is Hitler's ally, Amin al-Husseini. Uh, putting Tlaib's words into context, Ramirez says. Do you know who Al-Husseini was? He was uh, the Hajjaman Al-Husseini. He was the most important holy man outside of Mecca, Medina in the Middle East. He was appointed by the British uh, around in the 19 early 1920s. He fomented hate Jew hatred on an epic scale. He would circulate rumors that the Jews were going to tear down the mosque on the Temple Mount and Jews would be slaughtered. There were dozens slaughtered in one such incident in Hebron. It was in Hebron two years ago, yesterday. Um, I would say the three days that we spent there, we went to Hebron, the Herodian, uh, Mamre, uh, then we went to Shiloh, Shechem, Samaria, Mount Gerizim, uh, Jacob's Well, all these different places. Then we went to Bethel and Ai, uh, Jericho, um, the, the caves at Qumran. These these trips to Israel, if you ever had a chance to go, go. These had a huge impact on us, and it was just a tremendous trip. But Hussein Al, uh, Amman Al Husseini went to uh, Germany, fled to Germany during World War II, and was kept as a guest of Hitler. Now, you think Hitler would have kept him if he didn't have something to offer him? Uh, he had he hated Jews. He, he had. There were people slaughtered. Uh, there's a great article in Tablet Magazine this week about uh, what happened to uh, Jews. And it goes through and it cites all these examples of this person who survived the Holocaust, came to Israel, they became part of a village. During the 48 War of Independence, the village was attacked. This man came out waving a white flag to surrender and the Palestinians shot him on the spot. Mm -hmm. So then 131 other people came out. They were waving white flags too. And what happened? The Palestinians shot them and killed them on the spot. This happened over and over again. And so this lady who wrote this article on tablet says this, there were, 400, there were 433 more Holocaust survivors killed by Palestinians and Jordanians violently opposing the creation of a safe haven for people who had survived the Holocaust went to Israel and were killed by the Palestinians. Opposing the creation of a safe haven for Jews and what had historically and spiritually been their homeland. To attempt to rewrite that well, their well-documented experiences is to victimize them yet again in unforgivable and deeply anti-Semitic act. And this is a problem with the Palestinians. This is a picture of, um, let's see. So this is a picture uh, on the left. This is the Yamuk refugee camp in 2014 in, in, within the city limits of Damascus. Up here, that's another picture in the upper right-hand corner. Those are, that is what Damascus, that's what Syria did to the areas where the Palestinians lived in the Syrian civil war. The picture below is a picture outside of a home, a Palestinian home outside of Ramallah. I'm telling you, you can go to I, where Joshua fought this great battle. It says in Joshua that they, they killed the king, they put him in the temple area, and they covered it over with stones. When they excavated I in this location, in the temple area at the Tel at I, I've seen the pictures, you can look them up on the internet, 
there was a pile of stones eight meters high over the temple area, exactly like the Bible said. But right next to this, it's now in what they call the West Bank. There are homes there that if, if you didn't know you were in Israel, you would think you were in Beverly Hills. And this is true all over. There's a home that you can see from Mount Gerizim that is one of the most magnificent mansions I've ever seen in all the places that I've traveled to. Sits way up on a hill. It says that's the most, I was told, that's the richest man in Palestine. This is the Balada refugee camp in, um, maybe I, I think I've come to, oh, there it is, never mind. Back one. There we go. That's a blot of refugee camp that you can see from Mount Gerizim in the city of Nablus. In the middle of Nablus is Shechem. In the middle of that area is Jacob's Well. It's a refugee camp. They've been there for 70 years. I went to the Christ at the Checkpoint. I just have a few more minutes. They had a Christ at the Checkpoint conference in Oklahoma City. I went to it. It was painful. But I happened to sit next down, and a guy came and sat down next to me at dinner. It turned out he was the featured speaker. He was a Palestinian doctor. He now practices oncology in Toronto. He's a brilliant man. He had three daughters killed in one of the rocket exchanges that occurred. There's a lot. We don't know who it was Palestinian rockets that killed them or not. He had three daughters and a niece killed. It's a horrible tragedy. I wouldn't wish this on anybody. But I asked him a question. This is when you confront these people, this is what you need to do. I asked him, I said, you know, so I went to Shechem, I went to Nablus, and I saw Balata. I said, it looks horrible. He goes, oh, it's awful. We live in terrible conditions. He's from Gaza. I imagine I said the, the conditions in Gaza are just as bad. Yes. I then said, can I ask you why? Who, what's, why, why is that? It's, they've been there for 70 years, and right next to Balata are modern apartment buildings like you might see driving down the street here in Sarasota. Well, it's the occupation, he says. It's the Israeli occupation. I said, okay, that's fine. In fact, there's a uh, this article from um, JCPA, the one that I showed you. I asked him these questions. I said, well, what about Jordan? I've, I've been to Jordan. I've seen refugee camps there, and they're just as bad as Balata, if not worse. And... Well, he goes, but well, we can't vote for people in, in Israel. We can't, we can't vote. We're denied the right to vote. I said, are, the, are Palestinians that are refugees in Jordan, are they allowed to vote? Oh, no, they're not allowed to vote. In fact, there's a lot of jobs they're not allowed to hold. And what's the reason for that? They're in an Arab country. The occupation. I said, you go up to Yarmouk in Damascus. I said, the conditions there are inhuman that the people live in. They've lived in those conditions for 70 years, doctor. Why is it that your people are mistreated more horribly by other Arabs, and you never say a word about that? Where's your courage? You complain about Israel because you can, but you don't go to Syria and complain about it. You don't go to Jordan and complain about it. And this article at the Jerusalem Center for Public Affairs says this, by all measurements, the situation of the Palestinians in the West Bank and definitely in Israel is much better than in any Arab country. You need to learn these facts. The essential fact is that there are Arab Knesset members. The Israeli Knesset is the only parliament in the world where there is a conspicuous and proud representation of Palestinian parliamentarians. They do not have such representation in Jordan or even in Ramallah or Gaza. Only beneath a picture of Theodore Herzl and the Israeli flag and the Israeli parliament can Palestinians, par Palestinian parliamentarians speak and act freely. Even some Israelis complain too freely and even in defiance. And then I don't know if I got a slide for this or not. Nope, that's my 70-week slide. Amman, Jordan, is they're all upset. In Jordan, they don't know what's going to happen with the Trump plan, this Trump peace plan. Um, they've received assurances that they're, you know, they're not going to put all the Palestinians over in Jordan. They don't. The King of Jordan is not a Palestinian. He's an Arab. His family used to control Mecca and Medina, the sheriffs of Mecca and Medina. They were kicked out by the Saudis. 
The British gave them this little kingdom here called Transjordan, and they're trying to protect it. So, and then last night there were some attacks in uh, <coughs> in Damascus, and Syria's blaming Israel again. So, look, it's all heating up, folks. It's it's really. I don't know how quickly all of this wraps up. Um, I, my personal experience, this is how I feel, and I'm sure a lot of you feel this way too. I believe that God is allowing us to see these things that go on in the world to decouple us from the world. And we ought to, we ought to, Praise the Lord that he's doing that. That we'd be able to get our focus back on the things of the Lord and sharing the gospel. And by the way, I loved your sermon on the one gospel thing. That's a bugaboo of mine. And praise the Lord, you finally, you did what I wanted to do and I never got around to it. So I, that was a great, uh, a great sermon. So I'll pray and uh, then we'll, I guess, take a break and Pastor Charlie give a sermon. So let's pray. Father. We are so grateful that thousands of years ago, you saw fit to lay out the parameters of a future time in the world that would be stressful and difficult to live in. But we thank you for your grace in giving us, sharing that knowledge with us so that we can understand the times in which we're in and use that as motivations, not only for us to live personal lives of holiness, marked by holiness, but also to share the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with others around us. Give us those opportunities and help us always to be ready to give an answer for the hope that lies within us. Bless us this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.